Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton and Jenny Froome here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. Jenny, how are you doing? Really well. How are you doing? We're doing wonderful. Great, great to have you back with us. We've really enjoyed the Supply Chain Leadership Across Africa series. You bring the best guests and you're continuing that here today. Yeah, we've got lots of great people in this profession on this continent. So thank you for letting me keep on bringing them to you. Agreed. Best people, innovation, ideas, talent, uh, you name it. So, hey, but Jenny Froome, for the three of y'all that may not know, uh, listening, Jenny Froome serves as COO of SAPIX, which is, as we always talk about, doing wonderful work from a professional development and networking standpoint. You can check them out at sapix.org. And we're going to double dip within the SAPIX ecosystem here today. we got a very special guest. So MJ uh, Schumacher. Did I get that right, MJ? Okay. <laughs> MJ Schumacher mm-hmm. is the current president of SAPIX, which is, like we said, the professional body for supply chain professionals in South Africa. And as we all know, this sort of role as a volunteer one, which all three of us can relate to, is people like MJ who take the time out of their quote-unquote real jobs to give back or, as we like to say, give forward to the global supply chain community. So big kudos to MJ for doing just that, giving forward and um, uh, helping to expand, improve, engage uh, the global industry. So MJ, good morning. How are you doing? Hi, Scott. Good morning to you. Good afternoon, Jenny. We're all in the different time zones. It shows how colorful this little collection of people are. So thanks so much for inviting me to your program. It's always fun to chat and have a little light conversation. Agreed. You know, I'm not sure based on what we're going to be talking about, if we could call it a light conversation, we're going to be, you've had quite a journey and you're doing some heavy lifting in industry. So we're going to, we're going to have to roll up sleeves and get down to work, MJ. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think as we go through our little chat today, supply chain is right out there and everyone has to roll up their sleeves, like you say, and it's still continuing. So we, we, we need to keep going there's no breaks at the moment, that's for sure. No breaks and no finish lines, which I know all three of us can agree on. But we're going to save that heavy lifting for after we talk food. <laughs> so, Jenny, you know we love talking food around here on Supply Chain Now. You know, whether it's food or sports or the arts, you name it, we have to have those departures from, you know, the craft, as we call it, you know, the work, email. It chases us down. We got to, we got to take time out for that balance. So... Um, Jenny, your quick comment, because you would agree with us, right? we got to take time to laugh and entertain ourselves, right? We'd go mad if we didn't, or more <laughs> mad. <perhaps. laughs> I wish I could say mad like that, Jenny. All right, we're going to have you do some voiceover work for us. All right, so MJ, you are based in Cape Town, South Africa. So I hear, and I hope to, I hope to see it in person, experience it in first person soon, but I hear it's the most magical place blessed with excellent food and my favorite outstanding wine. So MJ, tell us about some of your favorite food moments that you can share with us. Well, I hope you don't mind me talking about wine because I know it's early for you. Uh, I'm sure Jenny won't mind. Um, yeah, so the food here, I mean, South Africa as a whole and, and Cape Town, uh, you you will never get a bad meal unless you, you, you choose to go for fast food if that's what you like. Uh, that's not really my thing. So I enjoy trying lots of different restaurants. So there's a very famous restaurant here in, in, in Cape Town, actually. It's in one of the top 10 in the world. And I've, been, wow. I've had the privilege to go there three times now. And every time I go there, you feel like you're on a journey with an artist. It's, it's you know, they, they have steam coming out of the dishes. You don't even recognize what it is. They, they make it the shape of an apple and it tastes completely different. So La Colombe is one of my absolute favorites. You have to break the bank for it, but it's definitely worth it. <laughs> And chocolate and coffee uh, tasting. There's an honest chocolate uh, shop that make their own chocolate. And you get to taste all the different homemade chocolates with a different type of coffee. So just not always sticking to, to the wine. And, of course, I have to go to the wine. is the cheese platter with, with the fantastic uh, Western Cape wine. 
I've always said that's that's my my um, hang loose meal. So if anyone puts me on death row and I want my last meal, that's what's going to be a cheese platter and a good good wine, a red one. So I got to ask you a follow up question uh, to you both: sure. white chocolate, thumbs up or thumbs down? I love white chocolate, but it's not really chocolate, unfortunately. It's the fat of the chocolate. Yeah. That is, I think I've heard that before. Jenny, thumbs yeah. up or thumbs down on white chocolate? A definite thumbs up. Really? Delicious. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm the oddball here. I'm not a white chocolate fan. You're a thumbs down. Yes, I'm a oh. thumbs down. I love dark chocolate, though. I love yes. a dark chocolate. And really, white chocolate's only chocolate I don't care for. So uh, cheese, wine, chocolate. Uh, MJ, you're talking our language here for sure. You have to come visit. You have to come visit. Yeah, and and to do the chocolate tasting, I was lucky enough to do to do one um, at the end of last year. I'd never done one before, and they did it virtually, and it was ever so clever. Really? And we actually got the real chocolate to taste, but just right from the very raw sort of cocoa bean almost right through to the developed product. And it's just so fascinating the different the different flavors that that are in the real chocolate. It's, right. uh, yeah. it's very fruity. It's an amazing taste sensation. Well, so speaking of sensations, uh, Jenny, you have, uh, you know, Jenny always knows what's cool out in the industry and she always uh, helps me, which I'm a little bit slower behind the curveball, helps me move along uh, and, and act like I'm more cool. So you put some uh, sensational show on my radar. Somebody feed Phil. And I think it's on Netflix, I believe. Yeah. Is that right? So, yeah. so what yeah. is this show all about? It's about a guy, the guy who actually, his name's Phil Rosenthal, and he wrote Everyone Loves Raymond. And he's he's very witty. He's very clever. He's a little bit geeky, but that's part of his either his irritation or his endearing quality. And he literally travels the world and is in a different city each episode and tastes different food and engages with real people in those places, sort of avoids a lot of the touristy places. And it's just a really fun program, especially as it links travel and food at a time when we can't travel or try different foods in in the authentic places. So knowing knowing Scott's love for different foods and uh, and whatever, I recommended it because it's just it's like a 40 minute escape. Oh. You can pretend you're traveling. Right. We're, we're going to have to sign up for that, MJ. Uh, and he came to Cape Town. Uh, I think so. Okay. So to, so to be all transparent with you, Amanda is our more, my dear wife, Amanda, is our more eclectic eater. She likes everything, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, she, she's helped me get, get out of my meat and potatoes um, <laughs> uh, mindset, which was well, really fun. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. More fun. So Amanda's helping me develop my palate, but uh, we're going to check out somebody feed Phil. One final question, um, MJ, before we move on to uh, your professional journey, you mentioned West Cape wines. Is that yes. the, the West Cape? Is that geographically where a lot of the vineyards are? Yes. So, I mean, there are actually vineyards in very strange places also in South Africa, uh, but the main uh, uh, sort of area where you would get the wine is the Western Cape, which is quite a large province. And it has quite a few different types of climate zones from really sort of Mediterranean to a little bit desert. So we have the Karoo. And so you get a different, you get a very nice selection of different types of wine that suits uh, every palate. So you can either go to the West Coast or you go down more towards the East. It depends on you. So, and one little tip for you to give to Amanda is tell her to try the chili chocolates with red wine. See what happens. Okay. (laughs) Chili chocolates with red wine. Done. Yes. Okay. So, and it's also where the Huguenots landed with the first vineyards that were planted yes. in the Western Cape yes. from France. Yeah. Really? The first, right. the, not vineyards, but the little vines. Huh. Little vines, yeah. So what? there's a French influence, yeah. Really? Well, we're going to have to do a wine episode. So we're going we're to have to save that for later. <laughs> yep. So, MJ, yep. maybe we'll do a, something on the wine supply chain, which has been an interesting thing to look at here in the last couple of years. But yeah. I digress. MJ, I understand you've had quite a journey and your journey sees you now back living and working in South Africa. But up to this point, from what I hear, you've been working with large corporations across Europe for, for much of your journey. So I bet you've got some stories, maybe some dead bodies that, <laughs> that are in closet somewhere. But I digress. Tell us a little about your journey leading up to what you do now. 
Sure. Um, how much time do I have? No, I'm just I'm just kidding. I'll make it very short. Um, you know, just to 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 put it in context. So so I sort of closed the circle by sort of returning to South Africa. Funny enough, my father was also in the pharmaceutical business, and he was transferred every six years. So we as kids, um, I started in Ireland. I was born there. Uh, we were then transferred to Hong Kong, and then we landed in South Africa. So South Africa for me is, is quite an important country because it's my formative years, right? It's where I went to school. I graduated. Um, I actually qualified as a high school teacher, and I say that just to let everyone know, it doesn't matter what you study, you can still be successful in life. So I was actually a phys ed teacher and majored in history, and I never taught, and I ended up where I am today. So that's just a little side note as well. I worked in a bank for a while, and then I decided, okay, let's let's go to the Netherlands because I'm Dutch, so that's where I should go. So I went there and uh, found a job, and that's actually where my supply chain career started. Um, if I give you the, the the years, you'll know exactly how old I am. But it was around the the, the late 80s when I, I left South Africa. And then uh, after a couple of years, you're going to start laughing. Um, I went to Switzerland and started up a restaurant. So I'm saying that so that you can also divert if you want to. Supply chain is everywhere. Yes, it is. So I ran a restaurant for six years. So talking about food, it's, uh, it was a good start for me. And then I, uh, I left the restaurant business. It's a very tough, tough uh, environment. Supply chain is obviously very, very prominent there, but it's, it's really, really hard work. Don't earn a lot of money, but it's, it's a great lesson. If, if you have kids, let, let them go be waitresses and waiters. They will know how to do customer service, right? Mm. That's how you learn. So then I moved on to Lego. I joined Lego. Uh, they were based in Switzerland. They had some factories there. I left Lego after about three years, and then I went four years, actually, and then went to a high-tech company. So they were making DVDs and, and, and uh, DVD players. So that was in the 90s, right? That's when all that stuff started happening. Right. And then went into liquidation. So that's, again, another lesson. You know, I'm, I'm telling these things because companies, are, you see the sign on the wall, tomorrow that sign can be gone. So that company went into liquidation. Was a fantastic experience, not the liquidation side, but what I learned through that, you know, to appreciate you know, you know that not everything's there all the time. It's not going to last forever, and you've got to keep going and keep being creative. So, and then I, I actually joined Johnson and Johnson. So I spent uh, 15 years of my career with Johnson and Johnson, wow, of which okay. 10, are in, 10 are in the pharmaceutical sector. So when you said, you know, uh, uh, it's about actually saving lives. And that was really a, a great experience. You know, they gave us a lot of free hand. You know, an experience. What I remember the most there was really about uh, uh, someone in um, a, a man from Peru actually contacted me. I don't know how he got his na my name and said his son is dying of hairy cell leukemia, mm. and uh, and I was in charge of that product. And he asked, would I be willing to send him an ampule? And I just said, of course. I didn't ask anybody. Uh, I called the office in Brazil and I said, or in Argentina, I said, guys, you got to send in the ampule. And they said, well, who's going to pay for it? I said, I will give you a credit note. Just send that ampule. And wow. I got a letter back from that guy that just brought tears to my eyes. So, you know, that's working in that kind of environment really allows you to serve and, and teaches you how important that is, not just about earning a salary or having, or having a title. So, um, yeah, my career, you know, before I left uh, for South Africa, I was global head of demand planning for the whole of Johnson Pharmaceuticals, which is the biggest sector of Johnson & Johnson. Um, and then also the global head of S, uh, supply, um, sales and operations planning for uh, Johnson Johnson worldwide. Wow. So I, I, I think from, you know, waitressing and, and being a high school teacher, that's pretty okay. So, you know, if that's also, and I think that's important to send that message. You don't, it's good to study. You must study, but it doesn't mean that you can't do something else. Right. Um, yeah. Let me ask you really quick, MJ. So a uh, quick thought. I think also your story illustrates we need all types of folks from all walks of life in supply chain, right? One of my favorite examples is uh, uh, we, we, we talked with someone in, from, a, from a very large technology company that's focused in the classic arts in college, got their degree in mm -hmm. classic arts and then stumbled across supply chain later. And now he's thriving in supply chain. And, and that is just such a beautiful example. Your example is a wonderful one. But my question, my quick follow-up question, you know, with your all, all of your experience in pharmaceuticals and, and um, you know, 15 years, I think, if I heard you right, what is your take, your quick take on this incredible, you know, the the quick development of the vaccine and then the noble mission of getting it out to all four corners. Can you comment on that, MJ? 
Yes, I think, you know, um, normally R&D in the pharmaceutical uh, environment takes 10 years. So it actually takes 10 years before a product actually even gets to the market, right? So that's why pharmaceuticals are also very expensive. And, and that's why you see a lot of pharmaceutical companies doing mergers and acquisitions because it's cheaper to buy that IP than to sit for 10 years and do that R&D. So that's when you see you know, J&J, for example, is, is, is over 50 companies because they just buy them all the time and, and buy that intelligence. They actually bought my uncle's company and it's their top product, Remicade. Um, so they just took over that company and they slowly renamed it into Janssen and they, they, they sold that product. When, wow. we, when we look at the COVID-19 vaccine, um, I think we must remember that the COVID-19 vaccine is, is, is not, it was, they, they didn't start from scratch, right? Because they, they, we, in, we in South Africa, we already had SARS, we had other types of, of, of diseases. So it's not far off from there. So they could start uh, from, not right from the beginning. And, and I think it was a good test for them because it just shows that maybe you don't need those 10 years. And if you really put your, your, your mind and matter to it and your experience, you can pull out a, a vaccine. And we know a vaccine always has to be updated, right? You can't keep giving people the same vaccine because that virus will also then also mutate and then you have to redo it and you have to try and understand. I'm not a scientist, but you have to try and understand, okay, how can we cope with it? So I think there were a lot of things in place already that helped with the speeding up that process of, of actually coming up with a vaccine. Mm, thank you. That, that, that is helpful. I think this is the first time I've chatted with someone with your uh, pharmaceutical industry experience about the vaccine, which has been, you know, headline news for uh, mm -hmm. a couple of years now. And, and thankfully so. So, Jenny, I don't want to, gosh, so much, so little time, so much to talk about. I don't want to uh, hog the conversation. Where are we going next with MJ, Jenny? So really the, the, the sort of the burning question, and I think it was one of the first questions I ever asked MJ, was that with all this experience overseas, um, what, what made you come back to South Africa? What was it that, that was the driving force? When I left South Africa, actually, uh, everyone said, I'll, you'll be back in five years. So uh, 20, 25, 30 years later, <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> at least I made it. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's, I always intended to return, as I said, and, and, and you know, uh, when the time is right, I decided to come back. Uh, one of the personal reasons is, is my family is here. I still, my mother and my sister were still in Europe, but they sort of followed me in the end. So we're all, we were all ending up together here. But also I just felt like, you know, what I, I always kept tabs on South Africa, I was always going back to visit my family. And I just felt like I want to share my expertise with the South Africans because Europe works completely differently. Even though everyone says it's the same, it's not really the same, especially now that I've actually had a job here in South Africa. So I just wanted to, to share my expertise with youth. I think that's really important. With SMEs, you know, I think the big corporates, they are way ahead. They have the money. They have the, the, the means to, to do that. But the small, medium enterprises, they really struggle, you know. Um, I help a lot of them now, and they get software for like 3,000 Rand a month. You know, that's like, what, $200, not even, $100. $100. Whereas these big corporates take the huge software, and these little businesses, you know, they need that help as well. So... And I miss the friendly South African culture, of course. But, uh, you know, what maybe came back is really like, yeah, it's my home. It's where I spent my formative years. And I really feel like I can contribute. So that's that's really why I came back. Well, we're definitely glad that you came back. Um, oh, and, and, you know, recent, recently you, 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 were, you helped a lot in, uh, in a, we, have, we had very bad riots back in July last year. And I know Scott, you know, Scott was very supportive because it was obviously quite a, an emotional time for all of us. But MJ, you know, sort of in, in the immediate aftermath, you were a terrific spokesperson for the profession, not just for SAPEX, on really the importance and the strength of the supply chains in South Africa. What, what is it that you think sort of sets, sets the South African standard as far as, as our supply chains and the people who manage them? I think, you know... There's different levels of expertise in South Africa. It's a very mixed bag. And uh, Scott, I don't know if you know this expression, but in South Africa, we always make a plan, right? That's, we always say that. If something goes wrong, we say, don't worry, we'll make a plan. Um, <laughs> so the logistics, I, don't, you know, you, I can't tell you what the plan is because it's always different, but they'll just say, we'll make a plan and then they'll do something. Um, I think the logistics and the distribution space showed a lot, lot of excellence, um, especially that everyone went online 
and uh, things had to be delivered. Uh, we saw how the shelves were emptied within a day of, of the toilet paper uh, a rumor. And within, uh, you know, the following day, they had filled the shelves again. So I think, you know, and that's talking about the bigger corporations. Obviously, the smaller ones, they, they were ruined. Um, that was very, very sad. You know, Scott, if you were following that, there were people, their whole life savings were gone because that's the only shop right. that they had. Right. But I really feel the South Africans uh, really came to the party when it came to logistics distribution. We have an amazing uh, online company. I'm one of their best customers. And I'm sitting out in a little village here in the mountains and they deliver here as well. So, and they, they, they do it. They get it right. They arrive and, and amazing customer service. So I think that's what, where South Africans are really, really very good. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with those sentiments. And thank you for all that you did in, in sort of, you know, giving the, giving the profession and the professionals the sort of the, the recognition that I think that they deserve during that, that difficult time and continue to do so. Thanks, Jenny. Jenny kept throwing me on the radio. Like <laughs> there was some guy on the radio, and they said they lost connection. Just call MJ, and I was—I don't know what I was doing. And they called me and said, "MJ, we need to ask you a question. You're live in one second." I said, "What?" TV, you know, and and it was really a pleasure to do that because I am passionate about supply chain. So even when they 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 would call me and say, "Can you talk in five minutes? We're live." wasn't a problem you know it was like sure just 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 call me and you know uh, I didn't even know what they were going to ask me I wasn't allowed to know so it was yeah I learned a lot thanks Jenny <laughs> to be impromptu <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that you know the the whole we've 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 always we've spent I've spent certainly the last kind of 15 years 20 years of of working in this field explaining to people what supply chain management is. And I will still call it a COVID silver lining that at last people don't kind of glaze over when you mention supply chain management because they don't know what it is. They're actually excited to know more about it. And, uh, and again, I'll quote Greg who said, you know, we've wanted this for so long. We've wanted the seat at the C-suite table. We need to make sure that we're ready to act. And, right. and, I, and I think that certainly here, um, that's that's coming true. Uh, we, we've obviously got a lot of we've got a lot of challenges in South Africa and also on the continent. Um, every country is different. Every country has one, I think, one common denominator, and that's our infrastructure, which is always a big challenge amongst other other less positive things. But let's focus on the infrastructure. But but what do you see as being probably one of the, the greatest um, inhibitors for supply chain progression and that we can focus on South Africa? Well, you know, I said earlier, making a plan, right? So making a plan is a reactive state. So if you look at the maturity curve, it, it's at the bottom is react, right? Then you anticipate and then you try and you try and, and, and manage and, and influence it and then you shape it. So... A reactive state is not a good thing because it's costly for customer service and it's also costly for the business, right? So you're always running behind the curve. So I find that in South Africa, the long-term planning is not a, it's not a strength. They don't think far enough ahead. The horizons are too short. If I look at going to companies and say, okay, let me see your budget for 2023, they don't have one. Even now, I'm, at, I'm working with a company that doesn't have it for this year either. We're already in the year, right? Our year is, of course, till February, right? So they still have till the end of the month. But I said, you should have known that six months ago. You should have known that a year ago, right? So they don't think ahead and they sort of go with the flow. Also, I find that digitization is very, very outdated. I'm working with a company now. They haven't changed their software in 25 years. And I'm, I'm speechless. And, and, and I know it's not all about software. It also has to be people process technology, right? So if you look at technology, that's 20%. People process. If you, you, could, you can have a great process, but if the software is not doing it for you, that doesn't help, or the people don't know what they're doing. And, and if you think your processes are great, and that's another thing I find in South Africa, they don't know what good looks like. They think what they're doing is good. Um, and when you show them what good looks like, they, they're all surprised. And I'm being very general now, right? There are right. businesses mm -hmm. that, that, that you know that. So supply chain is not seen as a key area until COVID hit us. Um, and I think, you know, I always say to Jenny, that's an opportunity for us and we must grab it with both ears. And it's often not taken seriously. They think we're the customer service and the trucks. Uh, so it's a very old-fashioned way of looking at it. And procurement. And, yes, 
Well, the government calls it procurement. It's actually supply chain, but yeah. Um, and it's a very sales and cost-driven environment, and that causes a complete imbalance. So finance will say no because it's too costly. Um, so, or they'll say, do a full run, do a day's run for that product because it's cheaper, but the sales can't sell it, right? Mm. And sales are saying to us, I'm going to order a, a thousand because I know that I'm probably only going to sell 500, but at least I have another 500 just right. in case of. And then when we don't sell it, why does supply chain produce too much? So, Really quick, MJ, you're speaking to that um, you, earlier, in, as you were describing your journey, you're talking about uh, the, the global S&P uh, role that you led. Yes. And you're speaking directly to the, to the balance. And oftentimes, unfortunately, the off balance uh, between the operation side and the sales side for a variety of factors, right? Call it... <laughs> Overconfidence on the sales side, call it uh, uh, underproduction on the ops side because they don't trust, right? Yes. What the sales teams and professionals are telling them. There's a myriad, myriad, if I said that mm. right, of reasons why that balance doesn't exist. It, if you could, based on your experience, what, why do you think? What else add? What else have you seen time and time again, perhaps, that creates that uh, off balance uh, when it comes to SNOP? Well, certainly uh, um, conflicting KPIs, so key performance indicators. So, if you know, the salespeople have one KPI, uh, the production has another KPI. Just my example is is, is a good one where the, the production has an ex, uh, a, a KPI that they're only allowed to spend X amount of the economic production quantity. Right. So, they will make lots of stock because it's cheaper for them, but it makes no sense because sales didn't even forecast for it. So, and then you'll have the finance saying, well, well, the GP is not looking good anymore. It says, yeah, because we produced a lot, but we didn't sell anything. So now we're writing it all. <laughs> so those are, those are those imbalances, right? Where people are not talking to each other. And, and, and if you see, you know, in my little business that I have, you know, the, the, what I called it was pro, P-R-O, I'm pro, S-C, supply chain, and E-to-E, end-to-end. So what I'm saying is that everybody should be, following and be measured by the same shared KPIs. Mm. So they don't have this, this silo where they throw their problem over the fence and then the other person has to sort it out. That and not only could they be driving with different KPIs and singing from a, a whole different uh, songbook, but they're not communicating. So so those differences don't don't come up to surface level so that we can do something about it. Or is that, is that kind of some of the things you see too, MJ? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and I think they, we all speak a different language. So if a supply chain person goes into the, the SNOP meeting and sales and marketing are sitting there and finance and the MD and hopefully HR, and they say, well, your bias is X, Y, Z. Everyone's going to look at them and they'll, they'll shut down, you know, because they don't understand that language. So we also, as supply chain people, must take ownership that we need to learn the language of the industry. And sales and marketing people should also come and learn about supply chain. If I had my own business as a sort of the a business, not a consulting business, but a business where I would be delivering a service uh, or, or doing shipments, I would make sure that the sales and marketing people work in supply chain for a while right. and vice versa, right? So we all understand each other's stuff. Like we don't just look with, 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 the, with the blinkers on and say, this is my area, so I don't care about the rest. And then you measure it. You have to measure them on a shared KPI. I was measured on GP, and I, I wasn't in sales. <laughs> so I did, my, you know, I did my best to make sure that sales reached their number because I would have, my bonus was hanging on it. If, if my bonus was hanging on the economic production quantity, we'd be overstocked. Right. Because, hey, look, I reproduce really well. I can't sell it. That's not my problem. Right. You know? That's not my problem. And unfortunately, we hear that uh, quite a bit in global yeah. business, right? All right. So, Jenny, I, I love, I think uh, sales and operations planning is such a, uh, a fascinating topic, the way I look at it. And, you know, there's some companies out there that really get it right and they're committed. They're committed top down to making sure the communication's there, the ongoing, the communication structure's there. The as MJ is speaking to the immersion of the teams in kind of the op not the opposite operations, uh, but um, the different functional areas, I'll call it. Uh, and then probably, arguably, for the majority of organ of, of business, none of those commitments are exist uh, exist and and the imbalance lives and thrives because of it. So anyway, we'll circle back. We could spend a whole week 
maybe a whole month on SNOP. Uh, and MJ, it sounds <laughs> like you've got a lot to contribute there. Jenny, where are we going next uh, with our dear guest here? I was just going to ask um, ask MJ what, since coming back and starting your own business and getting involved in South African businesses, but also the South African, um, the sort of greater supply chain community, what are some of your personal sort of highlights that, that have really have stood out for you so far? I think one of the big ones is, is, is actually, again, COVID with that silver lining gave me an opportunity. So I was approached by the Department of Health of the Western Cape, and they asked me to help them during COVID. So, so they have a program where um, the public health patients have to go to a clinic and they have to stand in a queue and they go and pick up their antiretrovirals, they go and pick up their hypertension products, et cetera, and they would go to the clinic and do that. So when COVID hits, they started cleaning out the clinics, right? They said, no, we have to make space for the COVID patients. So all those people must stay home. But then we had that issue is how do they get their medication? And, and, and Scott, you know, in South Africa, it's someone who walks like 10 kilometers to try and get to that clinic. It's someone who has to try and pay a taxi the taxi costs them, what, 20 rand, uh, but they, they get 1,700 rand per month to live off. So that 20 rand is a lot of money, right, if you put it in context. So what they asked me to do is to help them to, uh, to set up a plan as to how can we get that medication to those patients. So I actually went out on a field trip and I went to places like Danoon and Blue Downs, which is like you don't go there best you don't go there but I went in my car little little lady driving around and I went to visit those clinics uh, and it was an eye-opener you know because we we have a very privileged life and you know those of us that have been successful and have made it we don't really know what goes on on the other side so I, I was highly educated and obviously living in Switzerland for over 25 years and and I wasn't exposed to to that kind of thing so um, but you know, fantastic people all trying to help each other. You know, it's a, it's a great community. And what we did was is we actually uh, partnered with, and those companies actually did it for nothing. We partnered with the likes of Uber. So I'm giving Uber some bit of advertising here. And Bolt, for example, uh, where they helped us move the medication from the, from, so the, 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 it would come from a depot, be dropped at the hospital, the clinic. And then Uber actually helped to transport it to another drop-off point. And then there's these, these healthcare workers that actually usually walk around and give bed baths and help the elderly and stuff. And they carry these dustbin bags. It's got, I mean, like, like this, two dustbin bags on their shoulder. And they wow. walked from house to house and were screaming over the fence, are you home? And I've got your medication. So this, this to me is just, you know, I was speechless. I said, you know, where, where have I ever seen that before? So I felt really, really privileged that they asked me to do that. And actually, because I did that, I got a, again approached to help them on the national level, uh, the Department of Health. And that was actually um, funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So I spent about a year doing that. And uh, to me, that's an, an absolute, absolute highlight because I'm giving back to the community. Lucky me, I earned something, but I probably would have done it anyway. And I got to see, you know, the real the real world out there and, and, you know, had some really, really good conversations with people I would never normally have spoken to and to really understand their issues. And we really have no idea, uh, right. you know, we're more privileged. Yeah. So I think that was, yeah, that was the absolute key highlight for me. Obviously being able to, you know, be here on the board and, and working for J&J is great. Uh, but this one resonated more to why I actually wanted to come back. So uh, I was, and I was allowed to drive around during COVID. I had a permit, so that was quite nice. I didn't have to suffer too much in the in the lockdown. <laughs> so yeah. you're speaking to uh, the next question I want to ask, and so it's, it's, a, it's a natural segue here, because uh, yeah. as I as I heard you describe um, um, how rewarding uh, some of these uh, positions and journeys and 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 activities that you were involved in, how rewarding it was to you. It, it starts to craft your personal why, right? What is your why? So I want to expound on that a little bit more. So, you know, now you continue to give your time voluntarily to help SAPIX grow the supply chain community in South Africa, certainly, but I would argue really across Africa, because we know um, supply chain is global. It's, it's a global community, a uh, global ecosystem. And gosh, if you help one region you're or one city or town or, or state or country, you're really having a, a, a broader impact. So all that work you do voluntarily, why is that important to you? 
It's, you know, that, that's really a great question. And I think it's, it's, it's sort of part of my personality as well. I mean, Jenny's uh, known me for a little while now. Uh, I've, I've maybe got the helper syndrome. I don't know. But uh, I just feel like, you know, we can build a better South Africa and I can say maybe Africa, maybe even world, you know. Uh, that's that's your expression, right, Jenny, is supply chain makes the world go around um, and give opportunities to improve their own lives and those of others. Uh, I think especially in South Africa, and I think it's it's probably also in the countries in South America and India and stuff where normally you have one person. If you fire that person, 10 people will not eat, mm. right? So if we can help the people to help themselves, and so it, the COVID-19 pandemic showed how important supply chain is. Without it, nothing's going to happen. Right. And, right. And, and as much as the pandemic was terrible, it was great for us. So I was actually, I'm not happy we had COVID, of course, but I would like to grab that opportunity, grab that silver lining and say, guys, look, look, look at what an important uh, profession that this is. And again, it's just like, because I love it so much, I just want to give it to everybody else. I want to throw out all these hearts everywhere. <laughs> And that <laughs> sounds really weird, but yeah, it's just, it's just something I have the plan. Sorry. I said it's Valentine's month. Almost. Maybe that's why I said that. <laughs> but it's, yeah, I think it's just something that's, that I always wanted to do. And I've done a huge circle. I mean, it took me 30 years to get back, but uh, at least I'm well equipped to do it. So, so it's okay. Uh, it's more than okay. It is. It is so important that our industry taps leaders like you that have been there and done that, and are willing to help put in elbow grease to make it better. Especially make it better for for who's going to be following us. And and like you said, and Jenny, I want to get your comment here too. No one wishes that we had COVID here, but since it's here, it is invaluable. It is so paramount that we learn from it. So that when, when the next big global thing happens, and you know, it, it's curveballs keep coming. We know hopefully none of them are going to be the size of this for a long, long time, but we'll be better prepared. So there's less suffering, quite frankly, because as Jenny says, supply chain does make the world go around, right? Whether it's vaccines, these, these critical drugs that MJ you're talking about that save lives or food on the shelf. Um, Jenny, uh, I'll, I'll, um, your take here. Yeah, I was just going to say that I think that that's that this totally highlights because in this audience listening, hopefully to this to this discussion, there are so many people who are so passionate about supply chain management and who in their own way give back to their own communities. And it again reemphasizes the fact that a platform like Supply Chain Now just gives us the opportunity to, to, to share these stories, to highlight these individuals. But remember that one individual is, is, is represented, representative of so many supply chain practitioners who are out there. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's always just a big shout out to the people who keep everything going. Agreed. And out one more comment, and then I want to shift gears to forecasting and planning with MJ. We had Monica Trilsch with Infor with us uh, on a recent webinar. And one of my favorite things she shared, which I bet MJ and Jenny are going to be kindred spirits with, I'll try to get the quote right, but she said, um, people have been the salvation of global supply chain during the pandemic, not technology. And MJ, you said something similar a second ago. I think that message so loud and clear is certainly like you were saying earlier, Jenny, certainly one of the wonderful silver linings of what we've been through and continuing to go through uh, across the globe. So, okay. So much feel good vibes here. Uh, and, and hopefully for folks listening, maybe for folks listening in high school or college or early in a profession, maybe they hadn't made the jump yet. Maybe they're just kicking the tires on supply chain, but there's so much purpose and mission and good work you can do in this profession. Okay. Yeah. So speaking of the profession, forecasting and planning, absolute critical, right? It's like having a football to play the game of football. You got to have it. So question for you, MJ, and, and Jenny, uh, once we get her answer, I'd love for it to have you weigh in. So how do we encourage more younger professionals, right? The, the folks I just kind of uh, called out to get more interested in these critical elements of supply chain management. Mm. MJ. Well, I think we have to start with education, right? So universities, colleges, you know, having it part of their curriculum, having it part of, you know, their supply chain studies. I'm seeing a lot of suddenly supply chain study uh, courses appearing. So people are jumping on the bandwagon there. 
And it's funny, uh, you said about that, the, that person who was studying art and then moved into supply chain. Do you know that the person who studies art or music are one of the best demand planners? Really? They do the best forecasting, yes. They actually did a, did a, a survey to try and find out who are the best ones. And it's because probably because of that analytical brain is doing at all the keys of the instrument. So they're able to manage and, and, and coordinate. So it was actually quite an interesting uh, thing to hear. So we need to grab all those art students. Yeah, and, the, you know, the SACIX has a lot of youth development uh, sessions, you know, and we do a lot of webinars and, and there's a lot of on social media because, you know, if you want to get to the youth, you can't send them an email. Uh, you can't sort of put a letter in the letterbox. That's just not going to work, right? We have to WhatsApp them. We have to, we have to entice them, right? And, you know, I often use the analogy, you know, if someone always says to me, what do you do, MJ? I said, this is my analogy. I said, supply chain is like baking a cake. If you do not plan to have all the ingredients and the tools, how are you going to bake the cake? Right. So there's a lot of there's a lot of problem solving there. And I think if, if we can get the youth to understand that it's about problem solving, it's about analytics, it's about so it, it, it's supply chain, just forecasting and planning. You have your finger in every pie. Right. You've got to talk to sales and marketing. You need to talk to finance. You need to maybe go go and check and see. Uh, oh, um, you know, is there, you know, even a planner could be doing something where they see some new hashtag on, 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 on online. This is something Coca-Cola does. They see a new hashtag and they, they put it into their computer and they say, put it on the next label that comes on a Coca-Cola bottle and poof, it's there, right? Right. So this is, it's so varied and it's, for, it's, for, it's very good for people that get bored easily. So I get yes. bored easily. So I need a job that like, okay, now there's another problem. Okay, now how do I fix that? And oh, now that has happened. So we need to go to the youth. They're not going to come to us. We need to go to them and say, guys, this is such a lot of fun. Let's 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 do it. You know, they're, they're, and there's different games you can play. I mean, we, you have we have a, a couple of colleagues, hey Jenny, that have some nice games that people can play. Make it a bit competitive, but we need to move away from the old-fashioned way of of sending that message. We really need yeah. to reset in a completely different way. Agreed. Hey, one additional point, and and I don't I don't think this runs counter to what I said a second ago. What we said a second, the top, the latest technology right is in supply chain especially in, in recent years as that as you know supply chain tech freight tech final mile tech you name it is exploding right and so for any young folks listening if that's if you love all things tech some of these things that MJ mentioned hey you can find it in global supply chain Jenny I want to get you to uh, based on what MJ shared some of those tactics there some of the, some of the things to do some things not to do mm-hmm. I might would add MJ said an email won't reach young people. A letter won't reach young people. I would add whatever mom and dad suggest to their young, to their kids aren't going to reach young people. What else would you add, Jenny? I think it, it, it does. It boils down to communication and how we communicate. But it's also, MJ, to your point, it's how do we make it fun? Because, you know, especially if you've been at university and it was a traditional university, which we have quite a lot of, and, and the learning is by rote and there isn't so much experience because we don't have the, the, the sort of the apprenticeships and, and that sort of format of, of education so much. It's, it's slowly coming back. But I think how do you teach those people who aren't the academics, who don't want the degree, who actually want to be able to do? And that's where I think that, you know, supply chain management has got so many opportunities for people who, who aren't the theorists. You know, they actually want to do the practicality of it. But it's introducing them to people like you, Scott, like you, MJ, people who've actually, you know, earned their stripes, done the stuff and had fun doing it and love doing it mm. that just it creates that energy that that people want to and then it's and then it's 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 going back to the whole association community it's making sure that these organizations survive and thrive right because they create a home they create a community they create a, a place where these youngsters can actually learn and develop you know, I don't know if you looked at the World Economic Forum. They did a huge report. It was hundreds of pages long about the future jobs, uh, what is still going to be here and what isn't, and supply chain is going to be here. So if the youth are worried about what job they should choose or what area they should choose, supply chain will always be here because exactly what you said earlier, Scott, it's the artificial intelligence and the machine learning, that's not going to solve it. We need people. Right. We need yeah. problem solvers. We need someone to 
do that exception management, right? Not that boring stuff. Let the computer do that. Right. Let the software do that. It's about that exception management and that problem solving. That's what we need them for. Agreed. Agreed. It's like, uh, uh, I think as it goes, when John Glenn, let's see here. He was the, what, first to orbit the earth? Gosh, I'm a space nerd. I can't believe I'm getting this wrong. But anyway, to your point, MJ, John Glenn, they, they had computers at the time. They're in the 60s. But he's like, I don't want the computers. I want Catherine Johnson. If Catherine Johnson says the yes. numbers are good, I'm going. Yeah, and I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. I mean, it, it really yeah. is uh, it's such a great story. Mm-hmm. Back then, people were called computers, right? Which is fascinating yes. to think about now. Um, but one last point, MJ, and, and we'll make sure folks when I connect with you and with Jenny. Um, so make the plan, make a plan. You're sharing on the front end, that mm-hmm. saying y'all have in South Africa. You know, right when you said that on the front end, one of the things that appeals to me about global supply chain, back when I was in it, right, you know, actively as a practitioner, is when we hit a problem, whether it was bad parts or uh, late delivery, whatever it was, man, getting that team together in person around that table and all having the, uh, the kindred spirits of, hey, it stinks, but we're going to make a plan. I mean, that, yes. I think, appeals on the human level. It appeals on the professional level. And it's just that sense of all, it really pseudo family is exactly what it is. And, you know, if you're looking for that from a career standpoint, supply chain's got that in truckloads. Okay. So MJ, follow up on that comment. And then if you would as well, let's make sure folks know how to connect with you. So your final thought and how can folks connect with you? So my final thoughts, just for, for all the supply chain people out there, you know, your, your career is yours, right? So you need to do something. I think a lot of the mistakes that, uh, you know, that people make, and I had to learn that as well, is don't sit back, bring good work and think it's just going to happen. You need to go out there and say, hey, I did this good work. I did more than my job description. What does that mean for me? Right. So don't be afraid to do that. I think that's really, really important. Make sure that you connect with people, you network, you have a mentor, you have someone to help to bounce things off. And, it can, and, and I would recommend someone not from supply chain. So if you're in supply chain, go talk to somebody in QA or go t- talk to someone in finance because they see it from a different angle. Look, use that sort of blue ocean thinking. Don't always go in the, in the red ocean like, like we always like to do. Stick what we know uh, and feel comfortable with. So that would be my recommendation. Don't be afraid. You know, Go out there. You don't have to have a PhD. Study because studying is good for you. It, it, it trains your brain. It's not about the content. It's about the, how you use your brain later in life. And don't give up. And, and the world has changed. The world has changed. It's never going to be the same again. Be ready for disruption. And Scott, I think I love your example. You say, let's all just sit around a table, whether it's on Zoom or whether it's physically, and say, guys, we all hate this problem. <laughs> and, and I'm talking about sales, marketing, everyone we hate this problem. We've got a B in the, in the, I had that problem where we had the B in the, in, in the syrup for, for, a, for a cough medicine. And I said, just take the B out, get a teaspoon and just take it out. And they said, no, we have to send it back. I went, oh my gosh. Um, so, you know, just, you know, sit together, make a plan. So I, I kind of like that one um, and, and work together. Don't work against each other. Share your KPIs. All have the same number. Don't all be working for different numbers. Don't agree a number and walk out the room and have another number in the secret. No, let's all work to the same number. And if you can't reach it, say so. Don't wait till you hit the wall. Yeah. Let's talk about it and let's try and anticipate it and find the gaps, find the opportunities, and then maybe sell a different product or we can help with a different product. So don't be afraid to work together when you're in supply chain. And I'm talking to all guys, not just supply chain people, but everyone in the business. Man, those are words to live by a lot of what you shared there. And yeah, ask, especially that last, you know, ask for help. It's okay yeah. to ask for help and whether that's professionally or, or in, in any other uh, vein. So in, uh, that's kind of a, like a, a mini master class to wrap on there, Jenny. Uh, MJ, how can folks connect with you? So LinkedIn is, is, is great because you can also find out who I am and what I've done. So, you know, I'm, I'm a very pragmatic person. So if you read it and you think this is not for me, then you don't have to contact me. If you think it is for you, then contact me. Uh, you can also get me through my email address, uh, MJ at and then pro, SC for supply chain, E2E for end to end at uh, .co.za. So in South Africa, it's .co.za. In the UK, it's .co.uk. That's my email address. Reach out. Um, happy to have a chat, have a conversation. I get a lot of people reaching out to me saying they're doing research. Can I? Can they chat to me? And I said that's also fine. Uh, it's not always about making money. 
you know, obviously I have, I have a job, but you know, I'm out there to help and I'm out there to just make sure that I can help people find their way. Love it. I love that. MJ Schumacher, current president of SAPIX, again, a professional body for supply chain professionals in South Africa. And I would add beyond, right? Because I love the work you are doing really across Africa. Uh, MJ, wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much for your time. But hey, don't leave just yet. Jenny, man, another outstanding and very practical and inspiring, I would add, conversation we've had here with MJ. Thank you for all of your wonderful facilitation and your, your leadership. How can folks connect with the one and only Jenny Froome? Uh, LinkedIn, boringly. Um, I am active on LinkedIn. I love Twitter. Um, I, will, I will always respond to tweets. Um, and also through the Safex website. So, and you know, I'll just I'll just amplify that thing. The Z A. Also, you see, I'm multilingual, not just Z A. But yeah, easily easily done. I think I'm embracing the Z. I think I'm embracing the Z. the Z. I think it it helps folks understand you're saying Z, and I've never thought about that my entire life. So I'm embracing the it's Z. It's a good Scrabble word as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, folks, hopefully you enjoyed this wonderful conversation with MJ and Jenny. I tell you what, it was uh, so many, so many um, notes and ideas and uh, universal truths, I I would add, in this conversation. So big thanks to our dear friend, Jenny Froome. Big thanks to our featured guest here today, MJ Schumacher. And we're going to have to have both of y'all back soon. Uh, Jenny, I think we already have uh, our next couple of conversations teed up. Is that right? Yep. Yep, we're all ready and raring to go with some exciting guests. So stay tuned, folks. If you, and if you like this conversation, uh, and gosh, I hope you did. Uh, I really enjoyed Jenny and NJ's uh, perspective. Be sure to find us wherever you get your podcasts at Supply Chain Now. But if you do anything, if you do anything based on this conversation here today, you, you got to be like MJ and Jenny. Do good, give forward, and perhaps most importantly, be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.